0: This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with bestselling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find us at authormagazine.org, and we're... Funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, they have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. We got a great conference coming up this September. Oh, well, it's coming up, kinda, yeah. And uh, I'll be there teaching, and uh, so a lot of people. So, listen, you can, I think there's going to be a digit, a sort of virtual and an in-person version. So, whatever you want, wherever you live, doesn't matter, right? Of course. So, go check it out at pnwa.org. Well, I just finished a conversation with such a nice woman, Miranda Seymour. She's a British biographer, and uh, she's written a great book called "I Used to." I used to live here once. The Haunted Life of Jean Rhys, biography of the British novelist. And what an interesting woman! What an unusual path she took to writing. And she tells us she talks about marrying a older man who was a writer himself, and how he sort of guided her into it, kind of gave. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but she was charming. And we had a great conversation about writing, about biographies, about history and research, and just well a lot of stuff, right? Because that's what we do here. So just to be clear, she's uh, Miranda is a British biographer whose acclaimed books include biographies of Jean Rhys, Lord Byron's wife and daughter, Annabel Milbank, and Ada Lovelace, Mary Shelley, and Adeline or excuse yeah Adeline Morel. And uh, yeah, so we had a great conversation, and I'm so glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy, Miranda. Miranda, welcome to the show. Lovely to be here. Well, it's good to have you uh, over there in England, whereas I record this. You're all baking. <laughs>
1: you're all been- <laughs> we're, frazzled. we're totally frazzled. <laughs>
0: oh well, I lived through that last summer here in Seattle. It was bizarre, and so I'm sorry about that. But we're going to talk about happier things today, which is. Well, a lot of things. You got a new book out, it was just released in the U- U.S. a month ago. You are how? So, which this is? How many biographies have you written? Is this like your fifth or sixth?
1: Oh my gosh, I have to count. Um, I, I think it might be about seven alarming. Okay, all right, I so.
0: Um, And so this is about Jean Reese, but we're gonna. I want to just back up a little bit. You've written a ton of stuff, a bunch of novels. Uh, we were talking to mm-hmm. some children's fic, uh, fiction. You wrote a kind of a kind of memoir. Um, Writing, obviously, this is what you do. Was it always what you were going to do? Is that the only plan or were there other possibilities for young Miranda when you were just a girl?
1: Because I grew up in an, an enormous house where I still live in the country, which is kind of old and very romantic, my parents started me off giving tours of the house to the public who came around in groups of 20 Wait, 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 when, wait. I, when I was about eight. Wait, 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 wait slow down. You <laughs> lived in a house that would give you, that people would
0: want to tour. What
1: was this house? It, it is this house. I'm sitting oh, in that it right house.
0: now. Okay, yeah. and I'm
1: sitting in a room where the Babington plot was hatched to kind of give you the flavor of it. Holy but Mary okay. Queen of Scots on the throne and all that kind of thing. Yep, this is my
0: home. Weird. Okay, so you're, you, you were born in history. You were born, born in, in old history. English history.
1: And I think this is probably the only explanation for why I've always loved really telling stories is because my parents none of them were writers none of my family but right from the age of about 10 they said if you want to take a tour around the house go tell them stories and so quite quickly I found out which I shouldn't really be sharing with you, but it's terrible truth. Aged about ten, that I could tell my credulous audience pretty much anything, and they would believe it. And so I became very, very inventive with my history of the house, oh. and that's where it all began.
0: Yes, you know, I've heard this kind of story before that a writer, some writers' careers begin with lying, just childhood lying, not. You know, not, not, not yeah. necessarily to get out of a problem, but sometimes, but you just learned that there's a... It's there's not a... lying,
1: it's storytelling. Yeah, no, like, I, I what understand. The, what I learned was that actually, if i got people standing in front of me and I still love platforms and talking to a group in the uh-huh. same way, that if you can actually see people looking into your eyes and you're telling them a story, there's a kind of charisma between the two. And I guess that's why the, where the kind of addiction to storytelling began.
0: I love that. I love that description, and it's so true. Because I I grew up telling stories. Around my family were storytellers, and that's really where I think I learned to write. And when I was reading, but really, I really I look back, and it was the storytelling where I learned the relationship between the audience. But I love that you understand that connection because it really is. It's it's coming from you, but the audience has such a role to play in that, don't they? When when it's live like that.
1: I think so. And I think that the whole way through the journey from being a novelist to being a children's storyteller, to biography, the one thing I would say that's really helped me as a biographer is, of course, as a biographer, you've got to be scholarly, you've got to go to the archives and the research. But the one thing I guess I've never forgotten is that I'm telling a story. And that kind uh-huh. of leads you through the life where you have to select. You can't tell the whole story. And if you, if, well, like you, if I've always been storytelling, I've kind of got that technique, if you like, set yep. as part of my writing.
0: So so, so you've written a, a lot of books. And uh, so you must have started pretty early. Uh, were you, was it right out of university? Or did you have to move around doing other things first?
1: I, I started my life. My parents didn't want me to go to university. They thought that 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 was something that other girls did, but not not girls like me who married a nice posh man and a big house, yeah. that stuff. Okay. So what happened was that they got me trained as a secretary with a kind of typing course. Right. And yes. I have a very proud record of having been sacked 16 times as a secretary in two years. By that time, even my parents had given up. It was plain <laughs> that career wouldn't work. And instead of write, marrying this posh man with a big house, I married a writer. And I told him about my first book, which was going to be a great history of the Renaissance, never published and just as well. And he encouraged me and a little bit. I'm not in the least like Colette, but he sort of like that. He gave me a room and said, you stay in that room. You write a thousand words a day. And oh. that's what you do every day. That's how you start the discipline of writing. So right about the age of 23, I got an education in how you, you've got to be very, very disciplined. Was he much older than you? Much. You can tell, sort of. By how how Yeah, it. it
0: sounds like it's because he had already been, so he had already been doing it a little bit.
1: Yeah, he, he'd actually been writing about American history. He'd written on American prohibition and women's emancipation wow. and stuff okay. like that. Oh, he was an Englishman. And I was incredibly impressed. I'd never met a writer before. He was 15 years older than me. Yeah. He appeared to adore me. And, and he had an agent and a publisher. So, you know, what's a girl to do?
0: Right. But Very so, yeah. impressive but what a good guy that he encouraged you uh that he saw that and and loved you enough to to not feel intimidated and encourage you and and didn't squash it cuz you know the relationship my wife's a writer too but you know hmm. we were we're the same age mm-hmm. so we were sort of going up together and and it can be challenging there can be a sense of competition sometimes which can be ugly in relationships and so right. uh it was okay the, it didn't interfere with the relationship
1: I think Because he, I mean... I would have to say he's a wonderful man. He's dead now, and he was a marvelous tutor. I could sit down at dinner and say, "Teach me about Voltaire." He was sort of <laughs> my university before I went to university. Right. Tell me about philosophy. Tell me about Voltaire. Tell me about Catherine de Medici. Nice. And nice. boy, would he tell me over lots of wine. <laughs> so I got that kind of education. But I think because he was a pretty well-known writer back then, and he'd made a film of Under Milk Wood with Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, oh, wow. so he was like very famous and I was just a beginner so there was no competition at all okay okay so you're writing
0: fiction fiction is fiction what you did first was that that
1: that was all I did because I still hadn't got to university I was desperate for an education so I wrote historical fiction about um kind of Italian Renaissance figures okay and about the Medici family or the Sforza, and along the way I learned the history Yes, um, I was going
0: to say, so you kind of were just, you know, did you eventually go to university? I did. I went. Father, you first you're with this guy who could probably teach you as well as any professor. And then you teach yourself. You know how it is. But why? And you're getting published. I think well, of Oprah Winfrey, who had, was studying communications. And she had this job at this radio station. Yeah. And she was like, I can't do both. And a professor said, what do you think we're teaching you to do? You've already got the job. Go do it. You
1: know, it's, I'd love to think I was up there with Oprah, but um, <laughs> anyway, let, let's go for it and say why not. <laughs> but actually, um, I, w- I was just really lucky, as I say, because he had this huge circle of very kind of um, famous writer friends. Right. I was sitting between two of them one night at dinner and saying, I wish I'd been to university. And they said, well, all you need is an interview for a start. They They set up the interview. I took all the necessary exams and off I went as the yeah. mother of a small child and wow. the published author of three books. Jesus. All um, right.
0: So all right. So you're writing fiction and you're liking it, obviously. Um, talk to me, and it's going all right, and you're living in this literary world, and in in yeah. but not in London outside of London. No, or?
1: in in London, absolutely. London.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so you're right there, kind of at the heart of the English literary scene, it sounds like. It was,
1: degree. it was incredible. I mean, I'd find myself, this is not name dropping really, because I didn't yeah. know any of these people. These were all my husband's friends. Yeah. But one night I'd be sitting next to Harold Pinter. The next night Just, it would be Gregory Peck. Oh William Golding gosh. was his big friend. And wow. all I kept thinking was "I like, God, I hope I didn't burn the pork chops. I was so <laughs> okay. that nervous about everything. <laughs> what an
0: interesting life. Okay, so there you are. But at some point, You make the transition to start writing biographies. Yes. Which was your first?
1: Um, I have to say, first of all, that it came out of university because when I finally did go, I got really enchanted by a special course on Henry James. And I loved the woman who was teaching it. And she was the one who said, why don't you write about Henry James and his circle and kind of move away from doing these, you know, very good selling and everything fictions but be a bit more ambitious okay. and so that was my first book and it was so difficult to do because it was looking at Henry James and a whole group of writers who lived around him in England and I had to kind of do portraits of all of them sure. and I'd find them with James so it was a good discipline
0: yeah very you- hard to do but you already had the muscle, the research muscle that you had built up from writing historical fiction a little bit. It's not the same, it doesn't, it strikes me, but.
1: I think also if someone who's like me, who's really, I have to say, because of the kind of social world I came from, had a very poor education, the plus side of that is if you are, I don't know, interested, adventurous, keen on reading, that you have this hunger for knowledge, for the rest of your yeah. life it's never left me yeah. and i would say that, that more than anything else has driven me in my biographical work
0: there is nothing 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 nothing's going to replace a little fire in you that is just your own unique inherent curiosity i mean that is the That's fuel for what it's all, all about right without that if you know sometimes Miranda, when I sit down to write, because I write about mm. the same thing a lot, which is creativity and spirituality mm. and these sort of overlap. Yeah. I have to remind myself, no, why are you interested? Like, I have to get interested again. If I forget what I'm yeah. curious about, I'm just sort of doing the job of being a, a writer. I just lose all interest. You know, I gotta, yeah. I don't know if you go through that, but I have to like, come on, Bill, what is interesting to you about this? And then I'm going again. Does that
1: make exactly. sense? Exactly. Well, it, it sort of fits with what I always do when I'm starting off a new biography, which is my unfortunate family and friends have to listen to me saying i've got this great idea <laughs> and then i kind of pitch a story and i watch their face but it's, it's me back as a little girl telling stories from the big house yeah. and i watch their faces and as i watch their faces i can see this one's not going to work because they you start at the beginning uh, but sometimes I'm telling it, and I can sort of feel myself catch fire because I can see them looking like, yeah, what next? What next? Right. And then I think that's the one.
0: So I was going to ask you. So the so the most yeah. recent is I used to live here once, the haunted life of Jean Reese. And you know, I haven't read Jean Reese, although I remember I was reading an essay about her, mm. and I was like, oh gosh, she's so interesting. And I and I can't remember where it was, maybe it was the New Yorker. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, And now, now having read this, I really want to go read her. So good. You've made another reader, Jean Reese. But my first question is, so you got to, I mean, when you have to start a new project, you just like, I actually interviewed um, Nora Ephron before she passed away. And I said, you're working on another movie. And she was like, Oh yeah. They always want another one. I was like, you're all exhausted because you have to make a movie, but do you go through that? You're like, okay, it's time to write another biography or do you scout around for No, You're just,
1: no, with, with me it's it's a uh, it's two things. One is there's always the urge to get some money because at the end of doing a biography they finally do the final payment and that's great. Then you go and spend yes. it, yeah. and then suddenly you look at your bank balance and you think time to write another biography. Yeah, that's... That, that's the kind of. Uh, inglorious bit sure the odd, the odd bit and i'd love to know if other biographers feel the same way and if if you do maybe it's just writers in general that when my book's finished and there's all the excitement of it coming out which i'm going through now and that's really thrilling and there's the responses and the reviews and the you know festivals and stuff and then there's suddenly this absolute terror of the vacuum which is me when i'm not writing yeah. and i think who am I? That's right. Oh my God, I'm nothing. And, <laughs> and then I push. Somebody else comes in, and that's all right. They occupy the space, and I'm not worried anymore.
0: You know, I'll tell you. This is what happens. I, I'm also a coach, and I talk to. I've had some clients oh. who are like trying to get themselves to write, and I kind of help them. And mm. as soon as they like actually get connected to the writing, they like want to quit their day job and <laughs> I have to say, slow down, really? slow down. Yeah. Well, because once you've got that connection and you really like you can I think of it just like a plug. Yeah. It's hard to find elsewhere. And I always say to my students, like, I am seeking what I connect to in writing is what I want connection to every moment of every day. If I could manage, exactly. I never feel better than when I'm too interviewing, actually, is pretty close, but um. But that connection, and so how can, it's hard to replace, you know? It, and,
1: yeah, and I, I think as a biographer, I'm, I, I'm not sure if you, you write fiction only, I think. No, I write, but no, I, I write,
0: actually, I'm writing, I write personal essay, kind of, in the like yeah. self-help creative yeah. spiritual essays, but it's creative stuff, I guess.
1: But I think when you're being a biographer, I've always thought this, it's a bit like being a detective monkey or an archaeologist or something like that. Yes. Because you're on this incredible search for the truth and for the facts that nobody else knows. And it's just so exciting.
0: Okay. So so, you're like, you're like a little detective. And I was, I was reading this because I haven't read a lot of biographies. And what I was Hmm. struck by the right, you know, I always read with the writer's mind. I'm sure you do the same thing. You can't help but think what the author had to go through to write it. And first of all, as always, I read it thinking, good Christ, how much research this poor woman had to do. I know you loved it, but part of me thinks, as a writer who writes personal essay, and so my research is get up in the morning and live and then write about it, right? Um, but but what I was fascinated by was how in a way, you're having a kind of conversation with the reader in a, in a sense, because you, Kind of address us a little directly, like okay, I know this, I don't know that, I'm pretty sure of this. Like, there's a certain amount of actual, even though you yourself aren't coming forward that much. There is an an acknowledgement of what you can and can't fully know. Is that is that fair to say? I
1: think so. That there, are a, it, I don't think that so much. I don't think it's about the things you can't know because I this sounds kind of arrogant, but when I get really into a biography. I feel I can know everything, Almost but out. that there are certain things. This wasn't the case with Jean Reese, really, but it was certainly with some of the books I've written. There are things you can't say. There are things that you get told and which- By heard, although I they heard. Are family hyper, or whatever. Yeah, usually family or uh, um, related. And the more you get- involved with the family and become almost like an extra member of the family the more they will tell you stuff that they wouldn't tell other people you become Mm -hmm. almost like i know a therapist or something and there's then this very very difficult line that you have to draw between what it's it sounds like the newspapers you know the need to know but it's what it would be wrong to portray right. and what is essential for the reader to know in order to understand the person you're writing about. And that's a really, really hard line to walk. Yeah, I
0: would think so because you might hear some good stuff. There will be some really stuff.
1: good stuff. No, the good stuff, of course, no question. It goes in. But what when it's bad stuff? I've still got a couple of envelopes stuck away in the back of a drawer or stuff that I was told about two of my subjects, which I just haven't been able ever to tell anybody. And so the given nobody. They are to be given to the British Library after I die because I just don't want it on my conscience. And I do not know. The thing is, Bill, I do not know if what I was told is actually true or if it's just family malice. So what can you do? You cannot put it in the book, but neither can you completely junk it. And it's it's ethically very, very tough,
0: that one. Oh, that's tricky. Because the thing is, when I write about my own life,
1: yeah
0: you know I can I don't say I make stuff up but if if, if the facts get jumbled it, it's not no one cares because no one no one reads my it's, stuff to actually learn it's, about it's me. your life you yeah. have
1: complete rights as to why of my own life yeah but if it's not a member of my family it's just somebody who I've chosen to write about and then people start telling me stuff and say to me I've never told anybody else but I need oh. to tell you and I think what's going on why do you want this in the book yeah and it all gets very murky and I, I bet all biographers get this but it's a real problem interesting you, one
0: because you know you still got to tell a story like you know oh. it can't just be a recitation of facts that absolutely no one cares, right that's the key Do you ever get into someone's life and go man they just sat in their desk and they wrote and then they went to bed and then they got up and they wrote again and there's no <laughs> story here i feel like if someone wrote my story i don't know what they would find oh, maybe there'd be something Is it ever happened that you've just had to junk something or really dig to find a narrative
1: thread no. Um, no, but I think that's because it's really the case. that, that There is the figure like in the Henry James stories at the death of the lion, the lesson of the master, I can't remember which way, they hunt and hunt. And in the end, the man who they worship turns out to be a rather boring writer who just sits at his desk. <laughs> right. but I, I somehow have never found that to be the case. All yeah. the people, I, I guess before I begin on their lives, I want to find that they're extraordinary. And so I've never been bored by them. And I've always find that the life outside the books is certainly in Jean Reese's case, even more extraordinary than the life she wrote about in her books.
0: You know, it doesn't surprise me. I've probably done a thousand of these conversations and Mm. I think everyone's interested. I just think, I think that if you give someone your attention, your interest. I'm not saying like, you're not an interesting person naturally, but people are naturally interesting if you give them space and so exactly. perhaps it's the same thing with the autobot with the biography that everyone's life conceivably could be written about if you you know even well, the small
1: lives right i think that's the other thing i find very comforting about biographies once or twice have been the ghastly moment when somebody has said actually somebody else is writing that book too and uh, that that causes a <sighs> big moment when you're going oh my god what should i do right. and then i remind myself that i do honestly think that a biography is as much written out of yourself as it is yes. about the person you're writing about, because you connect to the things that you can relate to. So even if you and I both decided to write Lives of Nora Ephron, they would come out completely different, because the woman I would be looking for, and you would be looking for, aren't the same woman. You know, that is so
0: true. And I'm so glad you said that. It's a, I, it I could be fooled into believing that isn't true with biography, that somehow the biographer has got to just like, like almost like a journalist, get the facts. But when I teach memoir, for instance, which Mm. is one of the things I teach is Mm. I always remind the students, like you're really never writing about the past. You're actually writing about the present because how you view the past changes on how you are today. You know, you think it's, but it's not about And so in the same way, it's that. And, and do you allow your own interest, do you allow their story to filter through your interest or does it happen so unconsciously that you don't have to pay attention to it?
1: Gosh, that is a very hard one to answer. Yeah. I'd have to think about that. Um, Maybe sorry, so I can't answer that one. Yeah, no, I that's
0: fine. I think it probably happens no matter what. Like you can't help but let your attention drop a little more into certain mm-hmm. parts of their lives than in others, just because of what you're interested in.
1: I think the other thing that plays a massive part, which is a kind of skill that you get better out as you go on, is selection. And I know from writing the memoir, which was called Thrompton Hall in the States, and was about my very strange father and his obsessive love for this same gorgeous house, but he loved the house more than the family. And what I realized talking about that book afterwards with my brother, who didn't like me writing it, I understood why, because his story too, but we love each other dearly. And so I, I I wrote it, I gave it to him, and said, "What do you think?" And he said, "Well, there's your version, and there's my version." Oh, yeah. And they're both true. He's yeah. a lawyer. And <laughs> I that was ex- and he's also um a libra, so on the one hand this on the other hand. That. But I thought that was completely reasonable that yeah. there are always these kind of selections you make which create a story, like I was saying before, it, it's where you're drawing on your own life unconsciously, I think, to tell their story. Yeah. And so like when I, when I was writing about Jean Rhys, I was obsessed with by the fact that the people who wrote about her always thought she was the same as the woman she wrote about. Right. And there's a sort of character called the Jean Rhys woman who is the woman of these wonderful, very short novels she wrote. And the woman of the novels is a drunk, she's angry, she's funny, she's despairing, she yells a lot. Right. And she's in many ways very like the fairly impossible Jean Reese. but not one of these women reads, and Jean Reese was an right. amazing reader, and none of them write. Yeah, yeah. And if they don't write, they're nothing like Jean Reese yeah. at all, that's all she yeah. did, all her life was right.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting that she never included, because it's very hard for writers not to at some point include a writer
1: somewhere in what they did, just a little bit, you know? No, she deliberately, I mean, having read her little books over and over again, looking at exactly, it's what we were talking about before, I'm looking obsessively at that point and thinking, I'm right. They do not write and they do not read. And that is deliberate. She's saying, these women are not me, yeah. And yet, infuriatingly, the critics and the biographers, actually the biographers more than critics, have just gone on saying, oh, it's just the same person. Yeah. That, that's sort of. So that was.
0: And so was that was that one of I was going to ask you was one of the last mm-hmm. questions I was going to ask you is what was some of your favorite discoveries? Like, how did your view of her change as your. As the research and as the writing, I don't know if the writing, if you get a lot of discovery in the writing or if it mostly happens in research, but like what was some of your most interesting discoveries, your most meaningful discoveries for you as you discovered
1: this person? I think to me, one of the most interesting things was exactly how impossible she was. And she was somebody who cared only about her writing. She was magnificently Um, dismissive of how anybody else thought about her. She really didn't give a damn. Good. And (laughs) I got to love that about her. And what I I find incredibly poignant about her was that she died when she was 89. She was... 76, when she finally hit the big time with Wide Sargasso Sea and became famous. So 76 wow. years wow. of her life before suddenly she's one of the biggest names in writing in the world. And she kept saying, which is just heartbreaking, I'm just too old. And there she was with, you know, Parry Match and the New York Times and everybody chasing her, begging for interviews. And she's just an exhausted little old lady, although she is still drinking, hitting people, bashing them up, yelling at them. Her spirit is just phenomenal. And I love her for that.
0: It's such an interesting story. All right, so again, the book is, I Used to Live Here Once, The Haunted Life of Jean Reese." Get it, people. Listen. We're a bunch of writers. People listen to this show, but it's good to. The lives of writers are interesting, not as romantic as you might hope, (laughs) always, but always interesting and in the hands of Miranda Seymour. You know, excellent to read. Uh, I assume, are you doing some kind of. uh, When did this publish in the UK? It published just
1: before the US, which is sort of simultaneous. yeah, Yeah, very, very close
0: did you do some stuff have you besides this of course but have you done some publicity yeah stuff?
1: yeah I've, I've done a lot of, well a lot a lot of podcasts which sure. I've become slightly more more um well, able you're, to manage you're than you're I pro. Was. and I've done a lot of festivals and things in England and sadly because of the world the way it is today mostly zoom appearances yes. in America yes. but yeah it seems to be going very very well touch wood as one yes. always does
0: I know you got some great reviews good for you I've doesn't surprise me so congrats and I assume you're already sniffing around for another person to whose lives you're going to drill into is this correct
1: you're absolutely right and it's not one person it's two people it's a very very unconventional marriage I won't tell you who okay no no no. it's it's kind of wild and very all right
0: I look forward to that now you see you've made a new fan of me so okay but I got one more (laughs) question for you Miranda I got one more question and it's this I want you to think of all the writing you've done you've done so much Hmm. I have more to do, but I want you to think all the writing
1: you've done, if it's taught you anything, it's taught you well. a lot. I tell you what it's taught me. Is, this sounds a bit pious. Um, I write mostly, almost entirely, about difficult women. And they're regarded as difficult women because they're women who have been not well treated by history. And then I kind of learn more about them. And what I've learned is the lessons they learned. So they've become like my touchstones in life. And I hold all of them inside me because I know so much. They're my friends and my guides. That is great. That is great.
0: Congratulations on the latest book, Miranda. It's awesome.
1: Thank you. It's been lovely to do this. I really enjoyed it. Isn't that
0: nice? Don't you like that? That the people she's written about are like her guides. They're like the muse in a way, aren't they? I don't know. I I like it. I just do. I'm sorry. Uh, Listen, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. I want to thank all of you out there for listening. And, uh, you know, go... Tap into your guides. Go tap into your guides by finding something you love to do, something you love to do, and then do it.